But here we go, at the venue where this British driver announced his talent before he'd even reached Formula One, it will be his greatest achievement yet. One to inspire, like the names heard long ago for only the second time in history. You are watching a driver reach title number seven. Hamilton crosses the line to win the Formula One title of 2020. Lewis Hamilton reaches the summit and becomes a seven-time world champion. Formula One's top accolade belongs to Michael Schumacher and now Lewis Hamilton, the record above all others for one of sports modern greats. Get in there, Lewis. What a way to do it, mate. What a way to win your seventh world title. No matter who you cheer for, no matter who you support, there is no denying that that is a special moment in motor racing history. Lewis Hamilton clinching another title, and this one so significant that you heard what it meant to him. He said that he was having to hold it together in the last couple of laps as the enormity of his achievement started to sink in as he was driving the car. Welcome to F1 Nation. My name is Alex Jakes and the man at the other end of this Zoom call is Tom Clarkson. AJ, what a privilege to be here in Turkey to witness that history you've just described. It was just such a special day, made all the better, I have to say, by the stunning drive that Lewis Hamilton put into from sixth on the grid. At one point in that race, he was 30 seconds back and yet he brought it home in one of the best of his 94 victories great stuff it really was in the list of great lewis hamilton wins and admittedly there's quite a lot to choose from where do we place that one is it alongside germany 2018 when he won from 14th on the grid is it alongside say fuji in 2007 where he schooled fernando alonso that day probably his best since silverstone 2008 what do you think tc not as good as 2008 silverstone aj because that was just outrageously fast from him all race just hammer time for every single lap this one here in turkey was a much more tactical race it required all of his guile to bring that car home uh, as I said a moment ago, he was 30 seconds back at one point, and yet he had to find the grip. He had to look after those intermediate tyres that did 50 laps. And so it was just a brilliant all-round performance, something that he probably wasn't capable of back in 2008 because he didn't have the knowledge bank that he has now. And that is but what we saw today is why he is the best driver in the world and the only driver coming into this race who could beat him in the world championship Valtteri Bottas spun six times now okay that's an exaggeration still it proves the point that when it really matters you can bank on Lewis Hamilton I was behind Seb 
And he, for a moment, I was thinking I might get past him, and then <laughs> me and him were having this battle, and it was so frustrating not to be able to get past him. But I, I was, but also I was thinking, you know what? Seb has had the toughest year, I would say, probably, arguably, perhaps in his career, and to finish, to I, I just thought that he was driving so well. So at the same time, I was like, he's doing so good, but damn it, he's in the way, <laughs> and the guys up ahead are pulling away. Um, and then he started pulling away from me, and I think at that point I was definitely, I could definitely see the wind kind of seeping away. I looked at my dash, and I think I was on like lap 30 or something like that. And then I was like, you know, there's a long, long way to go, and anything can happen. So just uh, keep your head down, keep going, keep pushing. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you will know that we like a comedy montage every now and then. Valtteri's day was so bad. We're not going to do that. He becomes the first person that we will not comedy montage because it was just too mean. He had a little bit of damage on the car, but it. Uh, funnily enough, it reminded me of Felipe Massa at Silverstone 2008. Weird parallels going on there. He was already laughing about it. I think the team were teasing him about it because it was that bad a day at the office. It was. His steering was a little bit awry after his contact with two Renaults on the opening lap, first at turn one with Ocon. And then uh, just for good measure, he also made contact with Dan Ricciardo a few corners later. So his car was far from ideal, but no comedy montage. Maybe another time. If there was one day in 2020, you could skip from your calendar. It was today, I think. Today, yes. Man. Or maybe the day when uh, someone bought a bat in Wuhan. (laughs) (laughs) or this one I'm guessing Sunday was a trousers on fire race for you AJ when you were commentating but now you've had a bit of time just to reflect on it a little little bit how good was that race from your point of view in terms of the performance that Lewis Hamilton put in we actually had a conversation Alex Brundle and I had a conversation in the com box to go let's not go at 200 miles an hour at the start of this one because it's going to be a very long afternoon so we knew that we were going to get spins all day. I don't think we quite expected the toing and froing and five cars to be in contention for the lead at halfway. Don't think we quite expected it to be that exciting. But we knew that if you if you go full Murray Walker on lap number one, you're not going to be standing by lap number 58. I think when I look back on this Grand Prix in, in years to come, I'll think back to that halfway stage where you had the racing point still in contention. You had... Alex Albon uh, with an unlikely chance. You had Hamilton there and you had a resurgent Sebastian Vettel in the mix as well. And then the question was going to be who was going to use the second half of the race the best and tactically in every department. It was just a masterclass. And it seems obvious afterwards. Oh, of course, Lewis was able to live with all the challenges. We knew it was going to be about instincts and multifaceted driving. And what a shock. The champion had all the answers. Absolutely brilliant to watch. And what's really nice is it could easily have been, look at all the clues we had from qualifying. It could easily have been Hamilton comes over the line in eighth place and seals the title. I'm so pleased that it was a champion's drive to the title. And AJ, the team were expecting a special performance. Well, the problem is I'm naturally quite optimistic. So this morning I was optimistic that that we'd, get you know get a decent result that we wouldn't have the issues we had in qualifying but also a lot of that is embedded in the fact that 
I've worked with Lewis for a long time and you know that he doesn't want to win a championship with a sort of, you know, like limping to the finish kind of race and doing it because of the way the maths works out. You know that he's actually going to want to make a bit of a statement. So I think, to be honest, my optimism is probably rooted in, in that, that you think on days like today, he just delivers. Um, and it's why he's a seven-time champion is you know, because he can read a race like he did today and he manages the tyres and you know even when he dropped back he actually stayed nice and calm and could sort of see the bigger picture and as we said this morning a lot of the opportunities are going to arrive later on it won't be the first few laps um, but yeah he did a brilliant job today and showed why he's uh, got seven. Director of Trackside Engineering for Mercedes and most importantly friend of the pod Andrew Shovlin talking to us after the race on Sunday and another thing I've never seen Lewis more relaxed than he was after the race on Sunday. In the post-race press conference, he had the floor to himself. Just him on his own, answering questions about the season and what the title means to him. And his answers were heartfelt and illuminating. It was Lewis at his most articulate and endearing. But it was what happened immediately after the cameras stopped rolling that showed what a weight off his shoulders title number seven really is. He walked to the edge of the room and sat down and he even lay down at one point. And I think this must have been the first moment he'd had to himself since the end of the race. And he was soaking it up. He was clearly emotionally drained, but also really happy. You could see the smile on his face. And as I walked out of the room, I said to him, you're right. And he laughed and, and he wanted to chat, which is something that Lewis, the racing driver, isn't usually very good at over a race weekend because he's too focused, too in the zone, too busy. But after clinching this title, the wall came down ever so slightly, maybe just for a few minutes. But I did see Lewis, the man, and he's both interested and interesting and very likeable. The wall might have gone back up by the time we get to Bahrain, because one of the things he said was that he still has three races to win this year. But I'll always remember witnessing that moment of relaxed euphoria from the champ. Turkey 2020, AJ. It's great to get an insight into what an elite sports person is like at the moment after the achievement. And I think that summed it up really nicely. Let's throw it forward, TC. Lewis Hamilton now has the same number of titles as Michael Schumacher. At least from my point of view, it goes from where does he sit in the list of Formula One drivers to where does he sit in the all-time sporting greats? He has now reached the margin where we look beyond Formula One to the general sporting landscape. We do. And when you think of the current sportsmen and women out there still knocking out the wins and the championships. Who's done more for their sport than Lewis Hamilton? And you could say, I think, Cristiano Ronaldo, same age as Lewis, 35. People wondering if he can continue to these 40 because he's just so committed and so fit. I think Lewis Hamilton, same breath as him. He's as good at his sport as Ronaldo is uh, at football. I'm not going to start whether he's better or worse than Messi, Ronaldo, by the way. But then <laughs> what about... Roger Federer, 20 Grand Slams. He's got to be in the same breath, hasn't he? Tiger Woods, yeah, and golf. I mean, he's right up there. Of all the current sportsmen and women, Hamilton is right up there. 
Yeah, Hamilton, of course, really good friends with Serena Williams and Serena Williams chasing her greatest of all time title ranking uh, when she wins her next major. She's been chasing that for a while now, but it is interesting. And I think it's really good for Formula One when you have uh, a multiple champion getting worldwide recognition that transcended Everyone has a look. Okay, someone's won the joint most titles of all time. People who would not normally take an interest suddenly go, who is who is this person? And the thing for me is uh, I was talking about Max Verstappen's performance in qualifying, which uh, was astounding up until a point on the wet tyre where he was in another league to everyone else in Formula One. And I was thinking how remarkable it was to watch a driver just miles ahead in the wet. And I said at the time, Max Verstappen is doing an Ayrton Senna impression. I said it again in commentary on Sunday and then caught myself and I was like, hold on a minute. They're going to call taking tyres deep into the race when they look impossibly worn a Lewis Hamilton impression in the future. That's what he's achieved. He's put his name into the future for decades to come. Absolutely, AJ. And um, and deservedly so. And funny you should talk about Verstappen and Red Bull because undoubtedly this was a race that they should have won, not Lewis Hamilton. They had the fastest car on what was a very slippery surface all weekend. And yet they threw it away on both days. It was actually quite extraordinary to see a team like that do that because I've always thought of Red Bull as the most racy of all the teams in the pit lane their pit stops are always fantastic you can always bank on them to go aggressive on the strategy and invariably make the right call yet this weekend they just haven't had the rub of the green now here's a stat for you AJ everyone says Lance Stroll how is he only good in the wet well I tell you why (laughs) In qualifying, his outlap was 14 seconds faster than Lewis Hamilton's. So, of course, he was able to get heat into his tyres where other drivers weren't able to because he had the confidence just to really push hard. Whereas Max Verstappen came out behind Kimi Raikkonen and then was just stuck and then never quite recovered from that. I think lessons will be learnt by Red Bull and they'll come back stronger. The only thing is we're now going to Bahrain and of course when you talk to Mercedes and say why were they struggling so much on the short runs in qualifying why couldn't they get the heat in their tyres and they will tell you that it was because they have worked really hard in the last 12 months to get their car to not be too hard on its tyres in hot conditions which was always a failure of the car if you could call it that such a dominant car in the past. Well, Sebastian Vettel needed a mistake from his teammate at turn 12 on the final lap, but just so good to see Sebastian Vettel back at the front of a Formula One field because Albon closes down to the racing points at the front, then Vettel closes down to Albon, then he takes Hamilton with him and then he was faultless. He constantly was able to keep Hamilton behind and it was just great to, after all the difficult days that he has had, see a driver just put it in the place to take advantage. And that was a well-earned podium. His first, can you believe this, since Mexico last year. Great to see him back. And and he was a happy boy after the race too, it must be said. You could sense the relief. He said in the post-race press conference, he said, yes, it's been really hard this year. And you, you really feel that that will have been 
a shot in the arm for Vettel. And I can't wait to see when we go back to the temperatures and Bahrain uh, in two weeks' time, whether he can still stay close to Charles Leclerc now that he's got a little bit more confidence or whether it just slips back to how it was. It'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, the difference in grip is going to be enormous when they get to Bahrain. They're going to forget what it was like to go so quickly. You were telling me earlier in the weekend about why it was quite so slippy out there compared to a racetrack like Bahrain. Yes, AJ. It, actually, it's, it's quite interesting because, I mean, let's talk about Bahrain quickly. I was there when they started building it in 2003 and they made this big... I went out with Jensen Button, actually, and we just looked at the new layout as it was being built in the kingdom of Bahrain, and they made this big song and dance about the stone with which they were making the asphalt, which they'd shipped in from a quarry in the UK in Shropshire. And it was they said it was the best quality stone and it was going to give the best levels of grip. And sure enough, it has. And they thought they needed it because of the, the sand that was going to be blown in from the desert. So therefore, it was really important to have really good quality stone. Now, by contrast, is, is this a thing? Is this a thing I don't know about? Shropshire stone yes. is, 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 is the top tier, is it? Yes. When you next start laying some asphalt somewhere, make sure you get it from a quarry in Shropshire, mate. That is when I'm, do, when I'm doing the drive <laughs> yeah, next. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fine. Amazing. Whereas, by contrast, it's all been a bit lastminute.com here at. Istanbul Park. Now, they've done a fabulous job, it must be said, that apparently, um, I think Michael Massey first came here three months ago and there were cars from, uh, I think it's actually called the Intercity Istanbul Park Circuit and it's a car leasing company and because of COVID, they haven't been leasing any cars. So all of the cars that weren't being used have been stored at the racetrack and there was apparently a lot of debris. The track was full of debris and mess that even as someone said that there'd been a bonfire there was evidence of a bonfire that had taken place in the paddock so they've done a fabulous fabulous job uh, turning the track around and it looked every bit the track that i last saw in 2011 however what they have done over the last three months is relayed the asphalt anyone who saw or listened to the race uh, over the weekend uh, will have heard people talking about that but it was local stone because uh, they just didn't have time and you can't move things around the world nearly as easily as you need to uh, because of COVID. We can't th move things around the world because of COVID. So therefore, they had to use local stone and it's just not the same quality as you might find, for example, on your driveway, AJ, when you're using that Shropshire stone. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a result, it will never have, so I'm told, the same amount, same level of grip as Bahrain for example we first had the chat about this podcast 10 months ago over breakfast at testing and we were I like, don't think what? we talked about asphalt and now 10 months later in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crash in an unprecedented year F1 Nation brings you unrivaled <laughs> and I'll fight anyone who says differently unrivaled asphalt news <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. It's what we do best. Well, and we're That's in Bahrain next, AJ. We're in Bahrain next, so we can talk about it again there. If, uh, if uh, Send us your it's questions what about what people Asphalt. want. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag Asphalt News. If you're listening in Shropshire, and I know you do in the thousands, I want to hear from you. I want your recommendations. It's almost like the season should have ended at 15 rounds. That's how delirious <laughs> things are getting. <laughs> 
What I want to do now is get an idea of what it was like to take part in that entire weekend. No grip in the dry. Very wet conditions, a confusing qualifying session delayed with a red flag, and then a wet-to-dry race. But we want to give you an idea of what it was like to take part in that Grand Prix, and they don't come more straightforward than the Williams driver, George Russell. George, thanks for joining us on the show. We're talking straight afterwards, literally. Can we talk about the race, first of all? How do you sum it all up? (laughs) that is a very tricky question to answer it was you know the worst conditions I've ever driven in not because of the the wetness but purely because of the lack of grip you know we want to push these Formula 1 cars to the limit and this whole weekend we just could not do that you know we're normally working in tenths of seconds not seconds themselves you know we were we've only got to look at the split between cars and it was so tired dominated and I've never, ever experienced a race weekend where it's been this tyre sensitive. So that was a real shame because it's such a great track and we couldn't really enjoy it. How far off the limit were you? Because it's this weird thing, isn't it? That you are miles off the limit and yet we were seeing more spins and trouble than almost any, any race well, I can think of. I think this is what's difficult for somebody who is an F1 driver to understand that when we go slower, there is less grip. And that that was the case this weekend. And that's why almost the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. The fast cars with the most downforce and the most mechanical amount of grip could go quicker through the corners to start with, which then gave themselves more tyre temperature and then even more grip. And then the slower cars, you come out of the pits a bit slower, you lose the grip and you're on the downward spiral, they're on the upward spiral. And that's why you saw so much lap time Uh, between us and it's not that none of us were on the limit we're all on the limit but just to the limit we had and unfortunately that was very different from some guys to to another you were in p11 at one point i was thinking oh he's close again he's close i know but this was the thing we i started on the inters from the pit lane that was actually always our tactic we wanted to start from the pit lane because we thought everyone's going to lose so much tire temp on the formation lap which they did the Inter wasn't the perfect tyre in the opening lap, so I was really struggling. But then it just came towards me, and I was getting more and more grip lap after lap. And that was probably the first time I actually felt comfortable, that it felt almost like a Formula 1 car. Not quite, but it almost felt like an F1 car. I got pushed off the track by my mate Lando, which was not very appreciated, and went through a big old puddle and came back on track, and I had no grip, and I was three seconds off. We decided to box, we went back out, and then we couldn't get the tyres working. It's just so out of our control. And for example, Lewis qualifies seventh or whatever, four seconds off. He hasn't just forgotten how to drive a quality lap in the wet. And Stroll, obviously, you know, amazing job for him to put it on pole and Checo in P3. They haven't suddenly become heroes overnight, you know. You know everyone in Formula One are incredibly good drivers. And we're, we're just pushing the car to its limits and in conditions like that. The cars are just so dominant, unfortunately. And it's just, it's just a real shame. It's so interesting that the gaps were so big. Is it because you're not getting any feedback? You're not getting the usual feedback through your ass, through your hands, through your feet. Is, is that what was different? Definitely partly, but it's just because you're on such the, the bottom end of getting those tyres in the window. Let's say, let's just throw numbers out there. Let's say 100 degrees is the perfect temperature. Anything below 50 degrees, you're nowhere. We'd come out the pit lane at 75 and because there's no grip, those tyres plummet down towards 50 degrees. And if they drop below 50 degrees, 
you've got no grip to go around the corner quickly to then get the temperature back up. Mm. So it's whoever could come out the pit lane the quickest to keep that temperature as hot as possible. You've then got the grip and then you go around the corner quick to then put more temperature in the tire mm. and you're on this upward spiral. Like I say, that was just so dominating uh, this weekend. It reminded me when I went ice skating for the first time and I didn't have a clue how to ice skate, in all honesty. And when you did that, you probably had one of those penguins to follow. And yeah, pretty up, much. Didn't it? I probably need, I needed one of those penguins this weekend, in all honesty. Bring on the heat of Bahrain when we get, hopefully, a sense of uh, normality back, basically. Now, Lewis Hamilton clinched title number seven. He was very emotional after the race. Just, can we have your thoughts on Lewis? And also, I'd love to know... When did you first become aware of him? I mean, first, I'm sort of running out of superlatives for, for Lewis. I think everybody knows how great he is, you know, even while he was a two-time, three-time world champion. But for me, when I joined Mercedes and I saw him working firsthand, I knew he wasn't purely just relying on natural talent. He doesn't just wake up on a Sunday morning and jump in and it's the fastest. He puts a huge amount of effort in, which I don't think he really gets the credit for. That grew my respect for him massively and he works on the smallest of small details just to always excel and and get that little bit extra from him but first time I became aware of him it was probably back in 2007 to be honest I remember he um, he came to PFI once so this was during his first season in F1 and obviously he rocked up in a Mercedes uh, wearing his McLaren Vodafone race suit and obviously everybody at the track sort of mobbed him and I obviously got a photo with him. I had an, a woeful haircut. He'll probably argue that his haircut at the time wasn't much better. <laughs> um, so there is there is that embarrassing photo out there. The most famous English photographer, carton photographer, Chris Walker, took it, which I saw circulating not so long ago. So I think for both of our sakes, we prefer that to, to stay away but yeah that's probably the first time I sort of was aware of him really and what's the best bit of advice he's given you I mean I spoke to him actually after Imola to be honest and he he gave me some incredibly wise words and um sort of here for you if, if you need really and he's um I think you know I, I have learned a lot from him just being in those debriefs learning what he's looking for to make the car go quicker and what he's working on with his driving style, which has actually helped me become a, a better racing driver. Over the past 18 months, I've understood what I need to make my car go faster, and I recognise that's what Lewis was doing. You know, he's setting the benchmark at the moment, and he is incredible driver, incredible bloke, and just a lot of respect for him. It's funny you should mention Imola, because one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the last month in the life of George Russell, because... It's been a topsy-turvy one. I mean, if I take you back to the eve of the Portuguese Grand Prix, if you believed what was being written in the press, George Russell was out of a job at the end of the year. We then go to Imola a week later, and the team sort of reconfirms you. You then have the crash behind the safety car, and then the likes of Lewis put out on social media, Fernando Alonso as well. Guys, Ignore what's just happened here. This guy's the real deal. And I think your stock is higher, was higher immediately after Imola than it had ever been. I mean, because the people who know the Alonzos and the Hamiltons were saying the right things. I mean, it's been a crazy month. It has been a crazy, crazy <laughs> month to say the least. You know, mentally, um, it has been a roller coaster. 
But that's what Formula One's about, you know. There are only 20 drivers in the world. It's not meant to be easy. It's not meant to be a, an easy ride. I'm still at the start of my career. And I guess you had these ups and downs. Firstly, going through everything around the Portuguese Grand Prix, whether it's true, whether it was not, obviously, it did, you know, it did play a factor in my mind. Because was it unsettling? It was unsettling. When you, when you see all of this speculation, I knew, I knew it was just speculation, but no smoke without fire sort of thing. So, but I went out there and focused on my job and the Portuguese Grand Prix was probably the best weekend I've ever had in Formula One, which that made me really proud of the job I did and how I handled um, everything that was going on. And then equally, I went to Imola, filled with confidence. And Imola was going to surpass... Portugal in my best weekend, not just because of the position. In all honesty, racing is about where you finish. It's about the stopwatch, but we all know there's so much more to it than just that. And Imola was just a fantastic weekend, how we dealt with everything. Um, and the way it ended was just yeah, heartbreaking. And um, But following it, the amount of support I got from you know, so many world champions, team managers, everybody, it meant so much to me, uh, in all honesty. And uh, yeah, like I say, I'm doing my utmost to show what I can do on track, what I can, what I can uh, deliver. But it, you know, it's difficult. It's a package. Formula One's about a package, and I guess we all can't wait until 2022 when hopefully technical regulations, financial regulations, bring everything together, and the driver is more in power. You, you talk about package. I wanted to ask you about Doralton and how. How has the mood in the team changed since they took over after the Italian Grand Prix in September? I think everybody's very positive. You know, they see, see what Dalton are already doing and, um, you know, they've got big things in the pipeline. Everybody recognises Formula One, it takes time. And 2022 is a fantastic opportunity for them to do that. But everybody's upbeat and and excited for the future which is just really beneficial and it keeps everyone's morale high when results are not our way um, at the moment final thing is uh, i'm a little bit older than you george but you're causing me a few issues at home because you keep posting fitness videos right there was you rolling around right. on a bull without falling off it the yeah. other day i am being reminded why am i not like George Russell, says my wife. And I say because George Russell's 20 years younger than me. That's my, my answer. But I did want to ask you about your fitness regime in terms of what you do and how, how strong are you? How many marathons can you do? How, many, how fit are you, you, you old dog? The thing is, everyone has this perception of fitness and strength based on how quick they can run a 5K or how many pull-ups or press-ups they can do. And yeah. a yes, that's I know, my wife. That is my wife. Yeah. In a so a bloke I know, probably one of the fittest people I know, he can, do, he can literally do like 120 press-ups to a certain beat. He can do loads of pull-ups. He's incredibly quick on the bike. He struggles physically in a race car. You look at him and he's an absolute beast. And you look at me, I'm not the most hench person in the paddock. And I'm... Pretty lanky, quite toned, but in a race car, you know, I'm as fit as can be, and I'd like to think I'm one of the fittest people out there for a race racing driver. So that's what it's all about, ultimately, not just showing off with the impressive numbers. But I want some numbers from you, George Russell. How quickly can you run the fifteen hundred meters, or do a marathon, or five k? 
five, 5k with a bit of specific training, I think probably mid to low 17 minutes. Is running your sport? It isn't. I got into it, but if I wanted to, I tried over lockdown before I injured myself. Um, and on my first attempt, it was 18 minutes. So yeah, I'd say mid to low 17. So not too shabby. Bit off yeah. the world record, but not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Tom speaking to George Russell earlier on, alone. Again. Without anyone else on the call, <laughs> uh, even if they were meant to be on the call. How many hours ahead is Turkey, AJ? Can you remind me? It's been a long season, right? Everyone's quite stressed. Everyone's a little bit at the end of their tether, going slightly too lally. And maybe on this occasion, basically everyone had got the time wrong and I missed the interview. So apologies to George. Apologies to you. I would have asked roughly the same questions. But interestingly, on that fitness, TC, I mean... Well, what's your 5K time, AJ? Can you beat his 18 minutes? Do you remember that thing in lockdown earlier on in the year? This meets subtly changing the subject, right? Do you remember that thing in lockdown earlier in the year where people were claiming outrageous 5K times? Someone, one person put up a 5K time, which was clearly a Photoshop, and someone was like, yeah, mate, that's quicker than the world record. <laughs> well, hey, actually, Alex, while we're talking fitness, I um, Thursday night... Uh, I'm staying in the same hotel as Chase Carey. And obviously, of obvi- course. Obviously. And everyone thinks that Tom yeah. Clarkson's penthouse sweet bit of this podcast is a joke. Yeah. It's not a joke, it's accurate reporting. Well, actually, if, if Chase was on this podcast, he'd be saying, Yeah, the slum that I'm staying in this weekend is very unformula one, is what Chase would be saying. <laughs> but uh, interesting thing. So I walk into the gym. And I want to run 5K. Because you know you're going to speak to George Russell yes, and you know you've yes, got to tell him exactly. some data yes. about your performance. Yes, and, I, and it was the weather was too bad. I didn't want to run the tracks. So I thought, I'll do 5K and just see if I... Anyway, walk into the gym and the only running machine not being used is the one next to Chase Carey. Is, next, is the one next to the golden one that Chase is using. And Exactly. And... So I go, oh, so I, so I start running. I don't know how long he's been going. And I don't know what the etiquette is in a gym because I'm dying to look over to see how long he's been running, how fast he's going. <laughs> but I this don't. This is so Formula yes, One, so I, so I couldn't see. So I get on, start running, do my 5K, more than 18 minutes, by the way. And Chase is still going. So I'm like, oh, my God. I've just been outrun by Chase Carey. I'm absolutely exhausted. Chase, he keeps going. And I text another mate who's in the gym and I say, God, I've just been running alongside Chase Carey. So he then goes and runs on the running machine that I have vacated. <laughs> and I get a, a text from him half an hour later saying, mate, I've finished on the running machine and Chase is still going. He's sick. Can someone check? Can someone check that he's not stuck on it? No. But AJ, he is 66. And actually just being serious, he was, yeah. he is in fantastic shape. He really is. I don't know how far, as I said, I didn't, I wasn't so impolite as to sort of start leaning over it. Oh, I get out of the way, Chase. I just want to see how fast you're going or how far you've gone. But incredibly impressed at his fitness, I have to say. And I think even George Russell would be. The very Formula One thing that you've just described there, TC, very behind the scenes, because it is a travelling circus. There aren't many employees who would go to the same gym as the CEO. And yet, because everyone's on the road, it's all on the same gym. Well, amazing quirk of the job sometimes. well and here's the thing because 
Istanbul is obviously split. You've got the Bosphorus splitting Asia and Europe and the bridge over the Bosphorus is always chaotically busy. And the hotel I'm in um, is the one, the biggest one closest to the racetrack. So breakfast each day, mad because you suddenly sit down and you've got Dan Ricardo on the next door table who's saying that he's not going back to Australia at the end of the year because uh, you have to quarantine for two weeks and he's only got a month off. So therefore, he doesn't want to do that. So he's going somewhere else. That's an interesting detail. Just to pick that up. Only a month off before 23 races. Want having to spend, crammed in 17 and half a season. And he, didn't want, a year. and he didn't want to spend two weeks of it in a hotel that he wasn't allowed to leave. So he's not going back. Then you're chatting to... Um, another guy who works in the paddock club who's also a Aussie actually and he's not going home because he says the cheapest economy ticket to get back to Australia seven and a half thousand pounds what so, yeah none of the Aussies are going home Clearly. I'm not sure we're going to Melbourne if it costs that much <laughs> mate so it's quite fun because because you have the whole paddock staying in the same hotel you just bump into people and it's nice just to shoot the breeze and often not not talk about Formula One things. Talk about travel. Life outside of Formula One, I won't have it said on this podcast. We stay on topic all the time, TC. You know the rules. Yes, sorry, sorry. I'll get my coat. (laughs) I think we've nearly reached the time where everyone has lost their minds. Or, as I like to call it, the end of the show. So, we know what happens at this point. If you haven't subscribed, why not subscribe? At this stage, what have you got to lose? (laughs) Equally, leave us a review. We don't even care if they're mean. Also, we'll be back next week for another fun-filled edition of Shropshire Stone with (laughs) TC and me. That genuinely is F1 Nation this week. We will speak to you next time.